The Pocket Astronomer with Mark Thompson. In tonight's episode, we'll be hunting down the planets of the outer solar system and exploring the constellations Aquarius, Aries and Pisces. The following episode is ideal for listeners in the UK, Northern Europe, Northern USA and Canada during October 2020. You're listening to The Pocket Astronomer, your audio guide to the stars. I'm Mark Thompson and I'm addicted to stargazing. After listening to this podcast, I really hope that you will be too. Each episode, I'll walk you through a series of observations that anyone can make and you won't need a telescope or binoculars, just your eyes and a sense of adventure. Tonight we're going to be exploring the constellations Aquarius, Aries and Pisces and locating the planets of the outer solar system, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and even finding the location of Neptune, although it will be too faint to be seen with the naked eye. The skies are nice and dark during October, so if you're listening during the first week of the month then you'll need to head outside around 10pm local time. If you're listening around the middle of the month then aim for 9pm and near the end of October you can head outside around 8pm local time. Aquarius, Aries and Pisces are all constellations of the Zodiac, the group of constellations through which the Sun passes throughout the year. Aquarius is a fairly large constellation but its stars are not among the brightest. The region of sky around Aquarius is associated with water and indeed Aquarius is often shown as Zeus pouring the water of life from the heavens. It may well be that the appearance of Aquarius at the start of the rainy season in some parts of the world has given rise to the association with water. Just to the left of Aquarius is Pisces, another constellation with a watery origin. In Greek mythology, Gaia sent her son Typhon, the father of all monsters, to fight the Greek gods. As he approached, and while near the Euphrates River, Aphrodite, the goddess of love and her son Eros, made their early escape. They hid near the riverbank and were led to safety by two nymphs. Grateful for their help, Aphrodite placed the nymphs in the sky as the two fish in Pisces. On the other side of Pisces is Ares, the third and final constellation we'll look at tonight. According to ancient myths, Ares represents a ram from which the golden fleece was taken. In the story, King Athamas had two children, Phrixus and Helle. The children's stepmother was cruel to them, but the god Hermes saw her behaviour and feeling sorry for the children, made them a magical ram that had a golden fleece. The children escaped on the ram, but it was later sacrificed and its fleece guarded by a dragon who never slept. The tale of Jason and the Argonauts follows the story of Jason, who slays the dragon and steals the fleece. We've talked about the zodiac, the constellations through which the sun passes throughout the year, but the path the sun follows around the sky is known as the ecliptic. There's another imaginary line around the sky known as the celestial equator, and it's just an extension of the Earth's equator up onto the sky. The celestial equator and the ecliptic cross in two places, and originally, a couple of thousand years ago, one of these was in Libra and the other was in Aries. The point in Aries is important 
because it marks the starting point for the astronomical equivalent of lines of longitude, known as right ascension, one of the sky's coordinate systems. But because the Earth wobbles like a spinning top, these points slowly move, and to confuse you, this point known as the first point of Aries is now actually in Pisces. We'll hunt that down later. As we move through the constellations of the zodiac tonight, we'll spot the outer planets Jupiter, Saturn and Uranus. We'll see where in the sky Neptune is too, but it's too faint to be seen with the naked eye. And finally, we'll spot Mars. October is a great time to hunt down Mars because on the 13th, it appears directly opposite the sun in the sky at a position known as opposition. For most of the month, it will be prominently bright in the sky and easy to find. It looks red too, which makes it easy to identify. Mars's red colour comes from a material known as iron oxide, which you and I know as rust. Before you head outside, here are four important things to remember. Make sure you wrap up warm. Make sure your garden is free from any trip hazards. If you start to feel cold or disorientated, don't be afraid to take a break. You can pause and rewind this guide at any point. When you're ready, we'll begin. Glad you could make it. Now let's get ready to do some stargazing. But first, we need to get our eyes acclimatised to the night sky. You know the drill. First make sure you've turned out any lights in the garden or the house. Or if others are still there, perhaps it's just kinder to close any curtains you might have. Don't worry, if you need to do that now, just hit pause and I'll wait for you. Great. Now find yourself a comfortable spot. I like to stand, but you might find it easier to sit down or even lie on the grass. Just watch out for objects before you lie down. Press pause, and when you're ready, I'll be here. Comfortable? Good. Now count to 20 whilst you let your eyes get used to the dark. This gives the iris of your eye time to fully open or dilate. It actually takes a good 40 minutes for your eyes to become fully dark adapted, so you'll notice that you can see more and more as we wander among the stars together. Five, four, three, two, and one. There. You should now be starting to see the night sky a little bit more clearly. Let's find our starting point. And this month, we're not going to use a star. We're going to start with a planet. Have a think about which direction the sun sets in and turn to face in that direction. Now scan around in that part of the sky and look for a really bright yellow-white star. Found it? What a way to start. You're already looking at the first planet of the night, Jupiter. We've seen Jupiter in previous episodes, and you probably know that it's the largest planet in the solar system. But it's amazing to think that Jupiter is so large that you can fit all of the planets in the solar system inside and still have room to spare. Now extend your arm and clench your fist. To the upper left of Jupiter, by half of a fist width, is another fairly bright star. But it's actually another planet. 
Can you guess which one it is? It's Saturn. The first thing I saw through a telescope when I was 10 years old. It's an amazing object to look at and an amazing place to study. For example, did you know that if you find a bucket of water large enough, then Saturn would float? Between them, Jupiter and Saturn are pointing very slightly up and to the left, and conveniently for us, they point in the direction that we're heading. Now we're ready to hunt down the first constellation of the night. The constellation Aquarius. We're going to need to do a bit of star hopping to get from Jupiter and Saturn to Aquarius. Remember, Jupiter is the brightest object, and to the left a little is Saturn. Now from Saturn, a fist width to its upper left are two stars pointing upwards. These are Alpha and Beta Capricorni. Found them? Press pause if you need a few moments to get there. From the bottom star, make two fist widths to the upper left, taking us to Saddlesud or Beta Aquarii. Usually the second brightest star in the constellation is called Beta, but in the case of Aquarius, Beta Aquarii is the brightest star. It's known as a supergiant, is only slightly cooler than our sun and 50 times the sun's diameter. Beta Aquarii marks one of the shoulders of the water bearer, the other one marked by Saddle Melek, just one fist width further over to the left. Saddle Melek, also known as Alpha Aquarii, is similar to Saddle Sud, with a surface temperature just cooler than our sun, and is a class of star known as a supergiant. Both stars are quite rare because supergiant stars tend to be either very hot and blue, or cooler and red, not often yellow in colour. Hit pause and take a few moments to compare the two stars. And when you're ready, we'll continue. Ready? From Saddle Melek, the star marking the left shoulder of Aquarius, half a fist width to the lower left will bring you to three stars in a horizontal line but with a central star a little bit higher than the other two. The three stars mark the water jar carried by Aquarius. From the left, Eta Aquarii, Zeta Aquarii, and Gamma Aquarii. Have you found them? The central star, Zeta Aquarii, is a binary star system of two white stars, but you'll need a telescope to see them both. The stars are separated by 140 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. But even at that distance, each star would appear as bright as 70 full moons to the other. Take a few moments to enjoy, pausing the podcast if you need to. One fist width below Zeta Aquarii is a red star called Hyder. Its name might give you a clue what it depicts. Can you guess what that is? 
close. It actually represents the stream of water falling out of the jar above. Because of Hyder's position in the sky, the moon often passes in front of it in an event known as an occultation. We can measure the time it takes to disappear, and from knowing its distance we can calculate that it's about 108 times the diameter of the sun. Press pause and take a few moments to enjoy Aquarius before we move on. The constellation Pisces. Finding Pisces from Aquarius is easy this month because there's a great signpost. From Hyder, almost four fist width to the lower left is a very bright red star-like object. We're not going to talk about that object just yet, but one fist width to the lower left of it is Arisha, one of the central stars in Pisces. Its name is Arabic and translates to the rope, and it represents a piece of rope that connects the two fish of Pisces, one to the upper left and one to the upper right. Found it? Just over one fist width to the upper left of Arisha is a star with a crazy name of Kulanunu. It marks the part of the rope that attaches to one of the fish's tail, which extends to the upper left. Kulanunu is cooler than our sun and is a yellow-orange colour. It lies at a distance of 294 light-years away, which means it's taken the light that you're looking at tonight almost 300 years to get here. Take a few moments to make sure you found it, and don't worry, if you get stuck, just rewind and follow my instructions again. Two fist widths to the upper right of Kulanunu is a bright blue-white star we saw last month, it's called Algenib and is one of the stars in the square of Pegasus. One fist width to the lower right of Algenib is Omega Piscium that marks the point that the other fish attaches to the rope. Now remember when we talked about the point where the ecliptic and the celestial equator cross? Originally this occurred in Aries and Libra, but because the Earth wobbles, this point has drifted around the sky and into neighbouring Pisces. Omega Piscium now sits just above the position where the ecliptic and celestial equator cross, marking the start of right ascension. Back to Arisha, which is three fist widths to the lower left of Omega Piscium. You can see the whole constellation of Pisces as a giant yet faint V stretching up above Arisha. Take a few moments to explore the constellation of Pisces and when you're ready, we'll move on. The constellation Aries. Getting to Aries is easy from Pisces. From Arisha, move two fist widths to the upper left and you'll come across a bright orange star. This is Hamel in the constellation Aries and its name literally means the Lamb. It's about 66 light years away, 90 times brighter than the Sun and around 15 times its diameter. Take a moment to find Hamel, pausing me if you need to. Don't worry, I'll be here waiting for you.
The body of Aries the ram is formed from the fainter stars to the lower left, but to the upper right is its head. From Hamel, just less than three finger widths to the right and up a little, is Sheraton, the second brightest star in Aries, and the star that marks the top of the ram's head. Sheraton is a double star system composed of two stars, its main star and a much fainter companion. The companion star was detected by the careful study of the star's spectrum. By studying the detail of the light carefully, the telltale signs of certain gases are shifted from their usual position, revealing the presence of the second star. Take a moment to make sure you've got it. To the lower right of Sheraton, by one finger width, is Mesothym, the star of the root of one of Aries's horns. Like Sheraton, Mesothym is another double star with both stars distinctly white in colour. They orbit each other at a distance around 500 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. And at that distance, it takes at least 5,000 years for the two stars to orbit each other. That's all we're going to explore in Aries tonight, but take a few moments to enjoy the constellation and we can move on to our next observations when you're ready. The Outer Planets We're very lucky this month because we can spot not one, not two, but four of the outer planets in the solar system and identify the location of a fifth. Currently, we're in Aries, and we've just been looking at the star called Mesothym. One fist width below, straight towards the horizon, is a faint blue-green star. You'll need a nice dark sky to see it, and if the moon's visible, you may need to wait a week or so and try again. If you've got lots of light around, then you may need to find a darker observing location. Otherwise, press pause and look carefully for this faint blue-green sparkle of light. If you manage to find it, then give yourself a pat on the back because you have just located Uranus. Uranus, like Neptune, looks bluey coloured because its atmosphere is rich in methane, which absorbs red light. Let's move on to something a little bit easier to find. To the upper right of Uranus, by two fist widths, is the brightest star-like object in that part of the sky. And if you can't find Uranus, then just turn your gaze to the right by a couple of fist widths and look out for the brightest red star in that part of the sky. Have you got it yet? We spotted it earlier, and I think its red colour will give it away. That's right, it's the planet Mars. Whilst it's not an outer planet, October is a great time to be observing Mars because it's at opposition on the 13th, which means it's opposite to the sun in the sky, making it close to us, relatively bright and large in the sky. Mars is also great to look at through a telescope, and even a bird-watching scope should be able to pick out its polar caps and maybe even some of its surface features. Take a moment to enjoy Mars before we move on. From Mars, 
move to the right by three fist widths and up a little and you'll find yourself in the familiar region of sky covered by Pisces. In that location, you're looking at Neptune. If you've got binoculars, try scanning around that part of the sky and look for another faint blue star. So far, we've spotted two of the outer planets and found the location of a third. Over to the right by three fist widths are the two planets we saw at the start of this podcast, Jupiter and Saturn. They look wonderful in the southwest as they gracefully dip down towards the horizon. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to head inside for a mug of hot chocolate. Take it easy, as the bright lights indoors may seem a bit overwhelming to start with. Well done! With just your eyes, you found three constellations, seen four planets and found the location of a fifth. Take a look at your feet right now. You've just spotted another planet, planet Earth. What a great night. My favourite part about tonight's observations was definitely seeing Mars. It's so easy to find at the moment and I love watching how its brightness changes as our relative positions change. Before we go, there's just enough time to answer a few listeners' questions. Kelly from Nantwich asks if it's true that stars twinkle but planets don't. Well, that's a good question, Kelly. Stars certainly do twinkle because they're so far away that they appear as a single point of light in the sky. And as their light travels through the atmosphere, the movement of gases knocks the light around, making them look like they twinkle. But because planets are nearer, they don't appear as points of light. So while the light does get knocked around by the atmosphere, we don't notice it as much. Riley from Burnley asks, when is the next meteor shower? Well, every year we see around 20 major meteor showers at the same time each year. The next major meteor shower actually peaks this month overnight on the 20th, 21st of October, and it's the Orionid meteor shower. If conditions are great, then we might see around 20 meteors per hour during the peak, which should occur in the early hours of the 21st. If you've got any questions you want to ask me, simply email me at mark at thepocketastronomer.com and I might read yours out on the show. Equally, I'd love to receive any pictures of your own observations and the best ones I'll share on our Facebook page at The Pocket Astro. Next episode, we'll be exploring Perseus, Triangulum and Ursa Minor. Thanks for joining me on my audio guide to the stars. I can't wait to see you again next month. I'm Mark Thompson. Goodbye. The Pocket Astronomer was a Why Did the Chicken production. It was written and presented by Mark Thompson with help from Lorraine Kelly. The producers were Redsy Bernard and Dan Page. If you enjoyed the show, please do three nice things for us. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes and tell a friend.